Can you hear me now? The green light should be on. Sorry about that. Can you hear me now? Oh, oops. So maybe this one has to. I feel like I'm going to scoot this just a little bit. So I'm <laughs> more in the middle. Thanks for kind of sitting up close. I always like um, for us to feel like we're all close together. So, how many of you got to do the homework or some parts of it? That's a lot. Good job. I hope you liked it. It was fun. I spent the last, I don't know how long, studying about our need for a Savior, and I was having so much fun. I just, I, I was just going everywhere, and it, it was just like the best thing, and then I remembered that I was supposed to put it together in a way that I could present what I was learning, and that was when it got really challenging for me because there was so much, and I probably, you thought that too as you were going through the study, that there's so, so much that we could include. So I've just been asking God to show me the parts that feel, what did you say, Becky, this morning? Non-negotiable. I don't know if I can do that, but I'm going to try. So let me pray before we start. God, you know um, how this feels to me. It feels overwhelming in the way that um, feels like such a big responsibility when we open your word. And um, I just want so, so much for you to be glorified, for us to know how to really take it in and how it affects us personally and as a body of Christ. So my prayer now is that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, that you would say what you want to through me, and that we would be able to take it in in a way that it's meaningful and uh, makes sense. So thank you, God, that we're here today. Thank you for these friends, all of them I love and um, appreciate so much. So we offer our hearts to you now. We ask you to open our eyes that we could see you in all the scriptures we're going to cover today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the challenge... Of doing a, a passage like Genesis 3 is it's so familiar to us. And I feel like that's going to be true in a lot of the study that we're doing this year or this semester. Do you like when I say semester, it makes you feel like you're in college or something? So it's the familiarity that can be challenging because we can feel like, well, I've already studied that or I've read that. I grew up knowing that story. So my hope is that can, oh, Oh, thank you. Yeah. My <laughs> Isn't Melissa great? She's yeah. so good. Yeah. So my hope is that as we enter in today to Genesis 3, that we'll, we'll see it maybe with new eyes and we'll learn something new that we can take with us. So this is about our need for a Savior. Can you see the little picture? I think that's so cute. What would that mean to you when you see that? Would anybody have a 
Anybody have a thought on that? Mischief? <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Hiding. That's what I was hoping we'd see because um, hiding is big for me. I think when I realize that um, I'm not right aligned with God. So our need for a Savior, we're going to look at Genesis 3, 1 through 21. And I don't know how many of you were here last year, but we did. We began the Nancy Guthrie studies on seeing Christ in all of Scripture. And I know some of you were so disappointed that we weren't going to continue that. We are going to continue it second semester. But the thing that's so great about what we're doing this semester is we are continuing that in a way because in Luke 24:27, when the disciples and Jesus were on the road to Emmaus and they'd been talking, and then it says that Jesus began to explain to them all the scriptures concerning himself. And I really think one of the places, well, he probably started right in Genesis 1, but Genesis 3 is a huge deal in seeing Christ in all of Scripture. So it's really exciting. There's so much to it. And we are going to dive in to Genesis 3. And one, one thing I wrote down when we were singing that song or hearing that song, it said, truth unchanged from the dawn of time. And that is the truth of what we're going to look at today in Genesis 3. So let's make sure I can... Oh. Did it. Okay, so right before Genesis 3, what I want us to look at or remember is what had come right before, which was all of creation. And after God had made everything, he said, it is good, especially man. He was really pleased with that, so he said it's very good. And he had uh, some instructions for them in the garden, and here's what it says in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So that's kind of how we set the scene. Remember what he said. And maybe what he didn't say. So now Genesis 3.1. And, and I want to say, too, the outline that you have that I gave you, I was trying to think of the way that would be the most helpful to you. So what I ended up doing is mostly just putting all the scriptures there so you could circle something that you felt like stood out. And then there's room under each one where you could write some notes. So that's the way we're going to go through it. So it says, now the serpent was more crafty. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The serpent there, many people, I did so much reading on this, but um, many scholars, most of them, would say that the serpent at that time was really beautiful, just probably one of the most beautiful creatures that God had made. And the serpent was upright, probably, so probably talking to Eve in an upright way. And at that time, There was no evil in him, but Satan, who had been expelled from heaven, and that's a whole other history, but he had wanted to be worshipped more than God. He wanted to elevate himself more than God. So God had cast him out of heaven, 
And now here he was on the earth, and he used this beautiful creature, this crafty, beautiful creature, the serpent, to be his agent that would bring the fall of man. So he was more crafty than any beach of the beach. Oh, that must be on my mind going to the beach. <laughs> any, <laughs> any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the women, woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So this is the way that Satan still acts today is he puts questions in our minds and he wants us to question what God said. Up until that point, they had walked with God and they were just, it was paradise. But this serpent, Satan, comes in and starts us questioning what the beauty of God is and what he has for us. So he started questioning. He really wants us to begin to question what God says in our lives. The woman then said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, now listen carefully, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So do you see anything in there that Eve added to what God had said? Touch it. Did he ever say don't touch it? I think this is so interesting because when you really think about it, it's the way that legalism enters because it's like she, I think her heart is in the right place. I think she's really thinking, well, I better make myself some guidelines. So if I'm not supposed to eat it, I better not even touch it because that'll make me want to eat it. And I was reminded about a time when our kids were in high school Kaylee and Caleb were dating, and they had determined in their minds, kind of set up a rule for themselves, that they didn't want to kiss until they got married. So that that was like a really big deal. But as time went on, as you know, when you're dating someone and you're love, you love them and you become more passionate, it's really hard to keep the physical part intact. So... So sweetly, they came to us and the Lynches, and they told us they were struggling and that they didn't want, they wanted to stay pure till marriage, but they needed our help. So we very wisely thought that we would <laughs> help them and make a list of rules that would help them to not struggle physically. And I don't know if you guys were involved with the list or if it was just Tom and I, but we just start writing all these things down like, um, Stay horizontal. Like as soon as you lay down. That was, that was sort of <laughs> Ver, oh. <laughs> horizontal would not help. <laughs> Stay. I wondered why you were laughing so much. Okay. So vertical. So stay vertical. That was one of the rules. One of them was whenever you pull up in the car... You can't stay in it for longer than 30 seconds. So, so like, start the watch. Okay, we got to get out of here. So um, that was one of them. I don't remember all the others, but they were just about as ridiculous as those. But we thought, well, we will help them. But you know what it was? It was legalism. It was telling them, we're going to follow these rules. And partway through college, Kaylee came to me and she said, Mom, we had to throw the list out. It was 
horrible. Like we could not, we could not handle it. We just, it just made us want to sin and, you know, keep going more and more. So anyway, they threw the list out and then they said, then Caleb took on this, um, this protective role because he didn't have rules anymore, but he felt like I'm going to protect this woman that I love and I'm going to make sure that I don't violate anything about her. So it was like the freedom of not having this legalistic rule set that allowed them to just trust God with them. So it's amazing, but we think legalism's going to protect us, but really what it does is it binds us up and it makes us focus on the rules instead of trusting the Savior with what, what we can do and um, say. The serpent said to the woman, you surely won't die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So I'd love your input just a little bit here to tell me if you see any places that are lies in this from from Satan. Just what, what are the lies that he wants to get in our head? You can kind of see what's inferred. Surely you won't die. That's a lie, isn't it? But he could make it sound like it was true. You're not going to die from eating a piece of fruit. What, you know. So then he wants to twist what God means by die. And I think you studied death and the wages of sin in your homework this week. What else? Is there any other lie that you see in there? What you have is not enough. I could give you more. Isn't that just so tricky? Yeah. She said, we already know that we were created in God's image. So to cause us to question that and that we, who doesn't want their eyes open and who doesn't want to just be able to know everything? We all want that. So it's always this lie of Satan where he's going to twist things to make us think that we might be missing out on something if we go God's way and he's going to give us something better. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she's, she's thinking this through all in her head. It first starts with her seeing that the tree is good. Must have been so beautiful. That fruit must have looked so juicy and delicious. She took from it its fruit and ate. And then what did she do? She gave it to her husband with her and he ate too. I just think for me, I know this is true. When I am in sin or when I'm turning away from God's ways, it's so much better when I bring someone with me, isn't it? Oh, nobody wants to just be on their own in that. So she offered it to him. Got behind on my notes. So we're going to talk a little bit about this question. And I got such a fun email from Georgia this week. And um, 
one of the things she said was, how did Adam's sin blow it for everyone? Kind of we know that, we've been told that, but actually um, grasping it is kind of hard. I know for me it's always been a little bit fuzzy, and a lot of things like that are true in God's word, and we take them and we, we receive them and we trust him to reveal it in his time. But there are some things that are really important for us to understand about this. And I think hopefully you got some good time to study this in the Romans passage. But we're going to read it because it actually does expound what the truth of it is. And then we're going to just talk about a few different um, things that are true because of that. So Romans 5, 12 through 19 says that when, and I did this in my um, husband, Tom, likes the New Living Translation. And I, I really think sometimes it just makes it more easy to understand. He calls it his sixth grade Bible, but it's really not. It's just a good little translation that helps us to understand sometimes. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned and we say like how could this be like just because Adam sinned how does that spread to me well some of the things that I learned this week and and past as I was studying is that when God created man he made the human race and Adam is the father of the entire human race all the descendants every single one of us is linked to Adam so we're all part of Adam and Eve, and we inherit his nature, which is now a fallen nature because of his sin. So it says, yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But this is in the time between Adam and Eve and then when the law was given in um, Exodus with Moses. But it was not counted as sin at that time because there was not any law to break. Still, everyone died. So there's making a dis- they're making a distinction here, or Moses is making, not Moses, but Paul is making the distinction here of the difference between sin and death. Because sin, you can still sin, but there's also, I'm making it too confusing. I'm going to go back to the, <laughs> the verses. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam... To the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol. This is the part that's good to pay attention to. He's a representation of Christ, which in other translations it says he's a type of Christ who was yet to come. There's a lot to study on that, but we're not going to fully go into all of it. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. I think it's amazing. This one man, Adam, brings sin and death. One man, Jesus Christ, brings 
grace and salvation and life forever. For all who receive, where did I leave off? But for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. I'm going to read this part that I wrote down. It says, Adam was the representative head of the human race. This is how we know that we are in him. There was only one human that ever lived that didn't come from the seed of Adam, and that man is Jesus. So we'll talk about that in a minute, about how his seed came from a different place. Here's a little chart. I don't know <laughs> if this, some people kind of like to see the visual. It just shows that Adam, there was Adam, this type of Christ, and his sin brought condemnation to all humanity in him and then it brought eternal death and then christ and his righteousness justifies man in him and brings eternal life so just a quick little chart so back to the story then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings I was trying to picture what this whole scene must have been like, and I was thinking a little bit about what it's like for me when all of a sudden I realize what I've done. When I've done something to say that I think I have a better way and I disobey God. And what, what do I do? I try to cover myself in some way. So... Just imagine what they're doing. And even like sometimes I read something like that, and it's like they made, they sewed fig leaves. But that probably took a while. Like they had to find the leaves. They had to do the sewing. And so what was going on, that unsettled feeling in them as they were trying to cover themselves? And I hope you had a chance to think about, and maybe we'll talk about in our small groups today, the ways that we cover ourselves. What does it look like in your life? the shame that we try to cover. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Sin always makes me hide. For me, I realize it's when I'm not wanting to be in his word as much, I'm just getting myself busy with other things because I, I know that as soon as I take some time or the busyness part is really big, as soon as I take time to sit with him, he's going to bring it to the surface and reveal it, which is really so great when I do it, but there's something in our nature that wants us to run away and hide. So then here comes the big question the lord god called to the man and said to him where are you i love this question because god of course knew where he he was but he comes to him and he gives him opportunity to really think like where are you what are you doing 
You've, you've covered yourself. You're hiding from me. And the same thing he does with us. He so graciously asks us, where are you? He gives us opportunity to enter into the conversation. This whole part, this section and scene, I love picturing this amazing parent, God, when he's seeking out his children who are hiding and trying to cover their shame. He wants to lead us to a place where we can confess. Not because he wants us to confess to shame us or to embarrass us, but it's because he knows as soon as we get it out into the light, then sin loses its grip on us. We bring it to the light, and it's almost like, what was I so afraid of? Because then we remember we have this amazing, loving God. So he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Such graciousness in the way that he brings the questions to Adam. So the man said, The woman whom you gave to me gave it to me, and I ate it. She gave it to me. So I do that all the time. I realize that the first reaction, I've heard that some people, when they've been caught in sin, their first reaction is to be full of shame. And then I've heard other people are to be full of blame. And I definitely fall in the category of blame. I know that my blame comes from shame, but it's like the blaming is the outward action. So any time, I mean, it's the, the dumbest things. My first thought, and it's always because I'm most of the time with Tom, it's always his fault, whatever happens. It's, it, it was crazy. I remember we were on this. It happens a lot when we're driving and we're getting lost, and I, I think everything's his fault. So we were driving to the Grand Canyon with our son Shane, and Tom, it was his turn to take a nap in the backyard, back seat. <laughs> so he was laying down, and I kept driving, but I didn't exactly know where I was going. It was before times of GPS and everything. And I was, it was that thing where my anxiety was building as I was feeling like I'm getting more and more lost, and I felt like I had missed the turn. But it was like by the time we got to Paige, which was I don't know how much past the turnoff we were supposed to be, I was so mad at Tom. And it was like I hadn't, it made no sense, but I, 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 I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was like, Tom, Tom, wake up. And Shane was watching the whole thing, and I was like, you didn't tell me where to turn off. You know, just this thing that makes no sense. But anyway, Shane was the one who confronted me on it. And he's like, Mom, you do that a lot. You just blame Dad when, when something goes wrong. So that was big for me, just looking at all the blaming. And then the blaming continues. Then the Lord God said to the woman. It was interesting to me. It's like he's just the way that he orchestrates this whole conversation, like he asks the man, the man blames the woman. And it's like God knows like that the blaming is all kind of ridiculous, but he just goes with it. Okay, so then he looks at the man and he says, or the woman, and he says, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So it's the serpent's fault, not her fault. Then he turns again to the serpent and the Lord God said to the serpent so he's got this whole conversation going because you have done this cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field 
On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So that's another clue that tells us that he probably wasn't a snake that slithered along, but that was the curse that God gave to the snake. The snake wasn't the one who sinned, but he had to be the representation of the sin. So now, I mean, most of us don't really like snakes, do we? It's the, it says that there would be animosity. I'm going to um, make sure that I didn't miss anything on that part. Okay, so then he said, this is, this is a big deal, this next verse, and we'll see why. He said, I will put enmity. Enmity means just a deep animosity, just a, a hatred between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This verse, this chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15 is a huge deal. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. I'm going it, to, it's on your paper. But that's like, you can pretend you're in college. Well, a lot of you already have master's degrees and everything. But I think it's kind of neat to be able to understand what this means. Because what it is saying is it's the first time that we saw the gospel in, all the way from the beginning. So the reason for this is we can look at it, and it talks about her seed. I don't know if any of you got a chance to look that up and get a background on that, but hopefully we can talk a little bit more about this in our small groups. But all through the Bible, when it talks about seed, it's always the seed of the man, because women don't have seeds. It's actually the the man's seed that goes into the woman, and that's where the offspring comes from. But here... He talks about her seed, which had to have been put in her by someone. But if it was a man, it would have said the seed of Adam, but it actually, or, or the seed that comes out of her. So we know that the seed that it's talking about is the virgin birth of God putting the seed in Adam, which I think is just amazing. I'm gonna, I, I wrote a bunch of, it was like I wrote everything out And then I tried to read it last night, and then I thought, oh, it feels so boring when I read it. But I I just don't want to miss anything that I wrote. So I'm going to, hopefully, you'll stay with me, and I'm just going to read this whole part about the seed. I kind of already said a lot of it, so hopefully it doesn't feel too repetitive. um, Seed is always linked to men. I said that. Women do not have seed. The men have the seed. This is the only place in the Bible where it talks about the seed of the woman. I actually read something that was kind of contradicting that, so maybe don't pay too close of attention to that because it doesn't really matter. We still know that the seed that, that it's talking about is, um, is the seed of the Savior. So I'm going to skip that part because I reread some more this morning. The seed, let's see. This seed will crush the head of the snake. So it says, he shall bruise you on the head. It doesn't say the seed. It says he And there it is referring to Christ. He will bruise you on the head, which means to crush. There's a a word that's linked back in the Hebrew. Bruise and crush are similar or pretty close to the same. But any time you get a bruise on the head and crush, it's like complete destruction. So what it's saying here is that the seed from God himself would crush the head of Satan. Because it's not just a snake. He's representing all of mankind there. Or he's representing Satan. 
And you shall bruise him on the heel. And this is talking about the sufferings of Christ. Where in Isaiah 53, it says, you will be bruised for our iniquity. He will be bruised for our iniquity. So referring to Christ. So looking at this word, proto-evangelium. Proto means first or prototype. And evangelium means the gospel. So this is referred to everywhere as the first time the gospel enters in to the Bible. It's the evangelic, evangelistic message of salvation. So now he goes back and he gives the curse and the consequences to the woman and to the man. And there's so much good stuff in that that we're not going to look at today. But it's just jam-packed with so many implications for marriage and relationship. But because we're looking at the, the very first part of our need for a Savior and how it points to the cross, then we're going to move on to Now, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. This I love because we see in the beginning it's all good. Everything's very good. And then there's the bad, the bad news. It's like Adam and Eve stopped believing, didn't they? They turned away and they looked at the serpent and they looked at what was desirable for the flesh and what they wanted. And then came the consequences and the curse. Always, though, overriding it is the grace of God. But now Adam, after God has told them this good news, that that they wouldn't die after all, he says, Adam says, this woman's name now is going to be life giver. The Hebrew word is chava, which is life giver from whence comes life. So he believed, Adam believed what God was saying, that he would send through her seed a Savior who would crush death for all time. It's amazing. So now this is, I think, probably the first place we see repentance in the Bible because they had turned away and then now this turning back to God. And so they, he believes what God has to say by, by naming his wife life giver then the lord god made garments of skin in when you look at the history of the the hebrew words it's garments of animal skin for adam and his wife and he clothed them this is amazing and this part i i'm gonna read i I said i was gonna read the last one i didn't did i but this time i'm really gonna read it because um, I could ramble on so much about it, and I want to just try to keep it concise. But one thing that I love is that, you know, Moses wrote Genesis, and he uses this name for God all throughout. We've been looking at it all through Genesis 3. He says, the Lord God. And to combine both of them, it's Yahweh Elohim. And to make a combination of those two names for God gives a fuller picture of the fullness of his creating ability, his graciousness, his love for all mankind. So it's the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, what had to happen for him to use animal skins to clothe them? had to kill something. So instead of killing Adam and Eve, like he said, you surely will die, he, 
did the first sacrifice. It was the first substitution. He took an innocent animal, an innocent victim, to cover over the sin of man. It's amazing. So this is the, oh, I said I was going to read it, and I'm not doing it. (laughs) Okay, do you want me to try it? Okay, we'll see. So let me try this. God, God of the God of grace, they could not cover their own shame and sin. So he's immediately gracious. And instead of killing them, he covers them. I said that he provides for them physically and he provides for them spiritually, too, for all eternity. What does this mean that he covered them with an animal skin? An animal had to die. Like you said, God clothes the naked sinner by the sacrifice of an innocent victim. The animal's death atones for the sin. Sin requires justice. God's a good God, and he's a just God. This justice requires death and bloodshed. This was the first substitute, not the death of Adam and Eve, but the death of an innocent animal, maybe even a lamb. This became the standard offering for the atonement of sin. God is holy, and for us to be in his presence, because we are in a state of sin, we also need to be covered by the shed, shedding of innocent blood. We're going to look at the word atonement, which means that it comes from the word kafar in Hebrew, and it means to cover over. I thought that was amazing that the atonement, that's what God did. He covered over Adam and Eve's sin and shame by shedding the blood of an innocent one. And today, do you guys know that today is Yom Kippur? I thought that was so amazing, God's timing, because we're looking at the need for a Savior because of sin entering the world. And tonight at sundown, until tomorrow at sundown, the Jewish people everywhere will be coming to God to atone for their sins. When Christ died, there was no longer the blood sacrifice of innocent animals. It was also connected with the destruction of the temple. But the reason is because we no longer needed to substitute an animal because Christ had come in and atoned for sin once for all. So because the, the sacrifice of animals was a temporary thing, and that's why year after year, on the Day of Atonement, which is what Yom Kippur means, Yom is day, and then Kippur is another version of the word atonement. So every year they would come and the priest would sacrifice the blood of the lamb, the lamb and then sprinkle the blood everywhere to cover over the sin. And now we have a permanent solution. Hebrews 10.4 says, It is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews 10.10 says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It's once for all. From the very beginning, God has declared the payment for sin is death, and so blood must be shed to cover sin. Here are just a couple verses that show us about why blood has to be shed. It sounds gory, but it's important. Leviticus 17.11, which we'll look at this also in our study this next week when you do the homework. 
but it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement to cover for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And then Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's a big deal, isn't it? So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation and death to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as, though, as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Oh God, how could we grasp and take in the immensity of what you did on the cross, what you did when you provided a blood sacrifice in your son so that we would be covered, our shame, our sin, death would be covered and we would be able to be alive in you for all eternity. I don't know any words that could adequately thank you for this, but I um, I ask that now as we listen to one more song that we would ponder the greatness of your graciousness and love for us and that it would make a difference in our lives moment to moment day to day and i pray for our time that we are going to spend with our sisters our friends the ones we love some we haven't met yet but as we go together i pray that we would offer ourselves in a way that we can really hear you through each other thank you lord jesus amen